We continue on this morning with our study in Psalms, our summer Psalms that Pastor Corey introduced us to. Last week we looked at Psalm 77, which really speaks of how to go to God in the time of our great difficulties. Today we get to look at Psalm that was read by the worship team, Psalm 84. A few questions that I ask you as we start out. What is it that you passionately pursue in life to bring joy and contentment? What is it that you passionately commit yourself to to bring joy and commitment? Or what do you want most out of life? What is it that you want most out of life? Or do you personally possess right now what you want in life? It's yours right now, and you're enjoying it. The questions that really the psalmist answers here, because he declares for us in this passage the driving passion of his soul, what he wants most in life. And we'll get to walk through that. I remember being asked when I was working in the secular world, I was asked, so you're going to be a pastor, huh? And I am. Well, what is it that you do for fun? I thought that was a good question. I said, well, I go to church. I love to go to church. No, no, I don't mean that. What is it that you do for fun? I said, oh, okay, well. I belong to a home Bible study group, and I, and I love that. No, don't, don't you ever get drunk? <laughs> I said, no, I don't even drink. It is kind of interesting that the world has a definition of what's fun or what's enjoyable. And, um, and they're wrong. They also have the wrong understanding that somehow Christians are deprived of joy and fun. You know, we just uh, long-faced go and uh, sit in the pew and listen to the roaring of the bull, and and then we're done. I mean, you know, and and then we... But I see in Scripture, I love Psalm 16, verse 11. I've used it many, many times. It says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. Do you know that it is God's desire in your life for you to be filled with joy? If I look even in the New Testament and Jesus speaking here in John chapter 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. It's God's desire for you to experience and know the abundant life. He goes on to say in other places in the Psalms, he says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him in Psalm 34. Psalm 36, we read, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and they will uh, give them to drink of the living waters with delight. 
Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with the morrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. None of these sound like they're sad or uh, a funeral dirge. They're really times of celebration. When we answer that question is, what is it that we want out of life? What we set as our objective of our affection will either bring us disappointment or will cause us to be overflowing with joy of what God can do. The psalmist makes no mistake about it. In this passage, in Psalm 84, he said, the driving passion of my life is to be with God. Now, the psalm is really broken up for us in three pieces here, and it's easy to follow because at the end of each section, he says, Selah, stop, pause, reflect, think about, about what I've just said. But what I love here to begin with is, is this driven passion spoken with almost poetic terms, almost love language, like you would be saying to a wife or a child. But it is a driven passion that he has to be in the temple of God. That's his desire. He calls it the many places. But notice this, verse 1, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul, listen to the, the language of his heart, my soul longs and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Apparently, and we don't know who uh, wrote the psalm, we do have the impression from what is being expressed here at the beginning that there had been a time when he hadn't been able to be at the temple of God. And he's sitting back reflecting on that, and he's longing for that time. He's yearning for that. He just can't wait to get in to the house of God. In fact, he goes on here to speak in uh, kind of interesting terms. He says, you know something? The, the swallow and has an opportunity to build its nest, bring in its young, and feed the young right there next to the altar of God. He's almost envious of, this, of a bird that can be always in the presence of God. Obviously, he had experienced a rich time with God in the temple, uh, perhaps unequaled with any other time in his life. And he felt something there that he hadn't felt in other places. He, he knew something there that he had not experienced in other places. So why was he so eager to go to the temple of God? Because he knew that that's where the Shekinah glory was. That's the presence of God. He knew that going to the temple, he would be assured of the fact that he would be able to meet with God. That was God's earthly dwelling place. That's where all of the sacrificial system was put into place and sins could be dealt with and fellowship could be regained and, and, and the joy of the Lord would be theirs and, and all of the festivity that was associated with that and all the people that would gather around there that he knew that he would meet in the presence of God there. And his soul was longing to do that again. He wanted to be there. Have you ever been in that place where you witnessed 
the presence of God. It was overwhelming. I've recently been asking that question because I've been studying this passage, and one person said the time that I really sensed the presence of God was in Utah, underneath the open skies there and all of the stars and the beauty was there. And it was, the, it was the night that I accepted the Lord as my personal Savior. And tears came down in the joy of the Lord. I sensed the presence of God there. Another said that he just went back on the mountain by himself, got on his knees and began to converse with God and share his life and talk about the things that were good and the things that were bad. And he said, I sensed the presence of God. Another was with the uh, youth group, uh, Corey, when you guys went to Colorado and you were going around in Columbine school there and praying for the families and the children. And he, uh, he said, man, it was like you could reach out and touch God at that moment. Do you recall that? Yeah. I had an experience, something like that, when I was in, um, in India I've had a number of experiences like this, but I believe that there are certain things that happen to us at times that God uses to reveal the beauty of who He is, the intimacy of being associated with Him. I was going to, um, with a couple of other men from the church here, going to India, and we were going to put on a, a conference, a pastor's conference and a pastor's wife's conference there. And with uh, Dr. Sani. And as I was preparing the things that I was going to be sharing there, God put on my heart, wash feet. I said, what? Wash feet. I said, well, I've never washed anybody's feet. And so I thought about that. And then I remembered, well, this is Dr. Sani, and he will have people there, and there will be multiple caste systems there. And Dr. Sani is from the highest caste system. And when I mentioned to him that we ought to wash each other's feet, he's going to say, no way. So I got there and I said, Dr. Sani, the Lord has put on my heart that we should wash feet. I love it. He said, I love it. I said, there it goes. That's my last possible hope that I wouldn't be doing this. And so we got there. Now, I have never, uh, we got there, we, we taught, and then we had it lined up where people would be washing feet. And, um, and I really uh, wanted them to wash their wife's feet. They wouldn't do it. I rebuked them for that. I shamed them in the name of Jesus. I said, you mean to tell me my Lord and Savior will wash his disciples' feet and you won't wash your wife's feet? Another story for another time. But we washed feet there. And I remember um, I, I prayed that we had women there, a young woman there that was washing the feet of the women. And I said, I just want to pray over these women. And that's what I did. I just prayed. Uh, each one that was there, there were probably 20 or 30 women there. And I prayed for them. And they were weeping. And I asked finally uh, the lady that was washing the feet, I said, why are they weeping? I said, your prayers are cutting right across their lives. It's what's, it's, it's, this is what's troubling them. I had no idea. I don't even know these people. I don't even know. But God was blessing these women through me. Well, I said, we're done with washing feet. 
When we got back into Mumbai, there was an opportunity to go to Pastor Guy's church, which is a very poor church, actually built on a garbage heap. This church was instrumental in sending some sewing machines there. And uh, we got back in there preparing to come back home. And he said, I want you to go to a, a place with me tonight. And we all went with him. And he said, this is a house that uh, I just want to hear. I want you to hear the story. And so we were walking through a very poor, poor district. And, and then we finally got into this house. And I didn't have a lot of money in my pocket. But I guarantee you, I had enough money in my pocket to buy over and above everything that was in that house, even though there was, um, it was a dirt floor that was there, went in there. And Dr. Guy, Pastor Guy said, this woman was a demon possessed at one time, and God has done a marvelous work in her life. And there was this quiet, gentle spirit in that candle-lit house. And um, we were there visiting, we heard the story. And then I asked, I said, could I pray for this woman and her three children. Her husband was working that evening, and, and she said, yes. I mean, through the pastor there, I didn't understand. And I said, and so she lined up her three children right in front of me, and, uh, and she was right behind. She had a, uh, I thought I'd gone back 2,000 years in the time of Christ. She put a, a covering over her head that draped down over, and, and then I said, well, would it be okay if I put my hands on the heads of the children? Yes, and pray, and I did. And would it be okay if I put my hand on her head and prayed. Yes. And I, and I prayed. I just prayed a blessing upon them. And then uh, we were ready to leave. And the woman said something to the pastor. I don't know what it was, but suddenly he said, we have to stop. I said, well, what's going on? She wants to wash your feet. I said, really? She wants to wash my feet. My mother's been the only person that's ever washed my feet in my life. And we took our shoes off. She got a pan and she got a cloth and she washed our feet. We were leaving that little house there and I said to the men, did you not sense the presence of God there? I mean, it's as if you could have reached out and touched God right in that moment. Even as I tell you that story, I long to be there again. I want to be back there again, right in the midst of that. What was it that made it special? Not the woman. Not me. The presence of God there. This is what this psalmist is crying out for. I want to meet with God. And let me say something. What the psalmist is speaking of here is not unique to him. All of us should have that driving passion in our lives that what will fulfill us to the core of our being is to be able to meet in the presence of God. Do you not know that it is God's desire to dwell with you? When Adam and Eve were created, it was a time in which there was to be a total cooperation that was going on there. They were to fellowship one with another. Sin entered in, and God removed himself from that. You would think, well, that's the end of the story, but it is not. Because then in, in the desire to be with them, even in the wilderness, he gave instruction about what the tabernacle would be and what it would look like. It was another place in which God would dwell, in which mankind could come and be with God in the intimacy of the moment. 
And later that became a permanent structure with the building of the temple. And then even after that was set aside, there was Jesus himself and the tabernacle of God was amongst us. He came and we visually saw what it was to be with God. And then he says, I want that intimacy with you so much that he has made each one of us that know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. We now are the temple of God, and Jesus abides within us. It doesn't get any more intimate with, than that. But what the psalmist was crying out for, for the living God, for the joy of the Lord, for every part of his being that was crying out, he says, I want to be with God. Now, I would say that if we were to stop right here, and I would just give you an opportunity to say, tell me a time you were with God that way. I hope it wouldn't be just one time. I hope it would be many times. In fact, I would hope that that would be the passion of your heart to meet with God and to fellowship with Him. It's what heaven's going to be about. Let's go to my next point here. You know what he says here? He says, uh, he says, how blessed, verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell, that is to make a house, a home in your house. They are ever praising you. He said, this is where I long to be. I, I want to be in the place where I can celebrate you always. And then that little word there, Selah. Would you just stop and think about that for a moment? And we should. We should think, where's my passion? Where's my desire? What is it that I want most? And here he says, it ought to be God. You were desi- now think about this. You were designed by God to have desires. Do you know that? We even hear about this, you know, when we put our focus on God, and it says, He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that He'll give you what you want because you've come up with stuff. It means He will give you what you want to want. That's what He means there. He'll give you what you want to want. And, you know, people say, Oh, you know, God's going to give me whatever I want. Well, some of us need to get our wanters fixed. Because some of the things you want aren't honoring to God. But when God gives you what you want, it is to want Him. God has created you with the desire to pursue, to explore, to know, and ultimately to know God. That's a, it's a gift to you in that process, okay? Selah. <laughs> Think about it. And then he says, secondly... In this pursuit of God and the blessing that comes, he says in verse 5, how blessed, there are three blessings that are there. Verse 4, it says, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5 says, how blessed are you who find strength in the Lord. And then it gets down to verse 12, how blessed is a man who trusts in you. Three blessings, that's that's the message right there. Now this is the second one. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. That means that within me is the desire to follow the course that leads me to the presence of God. And what he's saying here is that when you begin that journey to pursue God, God will strengthen you 
in that journey. That's what he's saying here. Because your intentions is to go straight towards God, I will give you strength. And then he gives this illustration here in verse 6. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Now, this is the place, the Hebrew word there is really uh, the word they get for uh, weeping. It's a place of sadness. It's a place of sorrow. It's a place of difficulty. And what he's saying is, is that when I receive the strength of God, even when I go through the most difficult places in my life, he will allow the refreshing springs to come to me. In a desert place is what this is referring to. In a place that you do not expect to find life, in a place where death is all around you, God says, I see you in that hard place and I will pour out my blessing upon you. He goes on, the early rain also covers it with blessing. I believe two things in regards to that. I believe sometimes when we're on our journey to God, we can encounter difficulties. I believe also that sometimes in our journeys to God, God will bring difficulties into our lives for the purpose of seeing in the midst of our difficulties the provision of God that makes us bless him for the strength. But I do know this because he gives us strength And in our pursuit of God, that does mean that he desires for us to be in his presence. Regardless of how much it costs you, regardless of how difficult it is, God is saying, I will help you reach that destination. And then it says, notice verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. This is a very interesting thing that the psalmist is saying here. Not only am I on this journey going towards Jerusalem, the the residence of God, the dwelling place of God in the temple, but I have others that are going with me because the the pronoun there is they. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God. I'm going to tell you something that is the truth in regards to God about worshiping God. There is a blessing at times that you can spend alone with God. Make no mistake about that. In his word, in prayer, in song. Be still and know that he's God. But I want to tell you something. There is something that you get from God that you cannot get alone, that you do get when you're with a group of people that are pursuing God. There is a blessing that comes to my heart when I'm with others who are worshiping the same God that I am. Maybe different language, maybe different attitude. And I can't get that at home alone. God says, you enjoy that. You have that fellowship. When I was in, um, in um, Nepal uh, with the missionaries there, and they said, um, Sunday's coming up. What would you like to do? I said, I want to go to a Korean church. Are there any close by? And they said, yeah, there's one not too far from here. We can go there. Why do you want to go to the Korean church? Can you speak and understand the Korean language? I said, No. But what I do understand is their spirit in worship of God, and it is contagious. And they say, and I tell you, <laughs> I've been in all sizes of, uh, of Korean churches. My, do they sing. And I went there. Did I understand anything? No, but I know one thing. They were in love with the same God that I was in love with, and I loved 
just being with them. I was in Sierra Leone, and there were about 20 pastors gathered that I was teaching there. We had no musical instruments, but they had more rhythm in their snap of the finger and tap of the foot than I have ever had, and the clap of the hand. And they were singing. I looked like a spastic. They looked great. They sounded good. But what, had, what we had there corporately, I couldn't have alone. I could sit in my room for the rest of my life and snap my fingers and tap my foot and get nothing out of it. And you could probably peek in the window and watch me, and you would not get anything out of it either. He said, this is what's happening. Now, he will give the strength that is there. And then verse 8, O Lord God of hosts. That means the, the, the sovereign creator God who rules over all of the angelic forces. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Stop and think about it. Why did he invoke Jacob at that point? Now remember, this is a pursuit that is going on here towards God in which they needed to be strengthened. Just hold your place there in the Bible. I'm coming back to it and finish that up. But Genesis chapter 32 is Jacob that is praying. I'll give you a little bit of the historical background on this. You recall that um, um, Jacob had taken the birthright from Esau. Esau really gave it up, and there was a deception that was going on. Mom helped with that whole process, and then Jacob was afraid, and he ran off. And while he was away, family, children, blessing, he's now coming back, and he wants to meet up with his brother. And that's a fearsome thing. He said, this is going to be really tough. My brother Esau is probably going to kill me because of all that I've done to him. And he was a conniver and a deceiver and so forth. That was Jacob. And he said, I'm really, it's, it's really going to be tough. And uh, so he does other things. He sends gifts ahead of him. He sends part of the family. And he's sitting back here. He's hoping that the gifts will appease Esau and they'll be okay. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's that's Jacob speaking. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, which means a undercutting conniver. But Israel, blessing, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. I believe in this passage here that he talks about invoking, give ear, O God of Jacob, the same spirit that rests within our father, Jacob. I want it within me. I want to tenaciously hold on to you, God until you bless me. And I want it to bless me in such a way that it marks my life forever. Jacob walked with a limp from that point on, reminding the people of the blessing that God had poured out. I want to be impacted that way. So he says, God will strengthen me 
I will pursue him and he will bless. Selah. Think about it. And then the third section here, and there are only three, he says, um, he talks about the goodness of God. I, I, I want to pursue God because of who he is. I want to pursue God because he strengthens me to do that. But I also want to pursue God because I find in God no greater source of blessing in life than from God. I can go lots of places, but nowhere. Look at this very quickly here. Verse 9, behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. Now, here, here he's talking about really the king, and he's saying, God, if you'll bless the king, and the king is doing okay, then all of us will also be blessed. That's really what that's making reference to in verse 9 there. And then it says in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. That means no matter what other thousand different things you may come up with, none of them will be better than spending time with God. We've got that so reversed in our minds. We believe that going to church and going to the presence of God is an interruption, is an is a distraction from what we really want to pursue in life because this is what really gives me life. Just get out there with my quad. Nothing better. Taking that leap in the air. I've never done that, nor do I want to. (laughs) I don't even know why I said that. Or whatever. Whatever it can be. I mean, whatever. whatever, I think the thousand are listed there so that we can see the redundancy of that. And the contrast is shocking. None of them. For a day in your courts, in your presence, is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold, right there at the very entrance of God, of the house of my God, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now he's more specific because he said there are a lot of people out there that are advocating how we can live our lives and we pursue whatever earthly thing that we want and pay whatever price we have to, both morally and, and, and physically. We're willing to do that. But he says, I want nothing to do with that. I would rather stand at the very entrance of the court and see the people going in and celebrate that than to be involved with wickedness at all. But then he comes back and he he says, Lord, you're the one that really blesses my life. I don't get it anywhere else. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a son. (laughs) Going in the desert as they were pursuing, it would be cold at night and the sun would come, the brightness of that, the joy of being warmed. And then he says, at the same time, you're a shield. You protect me at the same time. You provide for me, and you protect me with a shield. The Lord God gives grace and glory. Think about that. He gives grace. He gives you what you don't deserve just to bless you. And the glory means you get to participate in all that God is. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If we go to Romans chapter 8, we realize that God has given us everything that we need and really in regards to the redemption. And it says there, if he did not 
withhold his son and the salvation, how will he withhold any good and gift to us? In other words, it is, do you understand that it is the heart of God to bless you? It is the desire of God to bless you. He loves every good and perfect gift that comes from above. Do you understand that in eternity future, that there is nothing but good and delight and celebration that will be going on forever and ever? That we will experience on a habitual basis forever the discovery of another aspect of God and His goodness. He said, I'd love to come into the presence of God just to be reminded of who he is. And he's a good, good God. He loves blessing us. He loves blessing us. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, you who rule over all, how blessed is a man who trusts in you. We're invited to trust a lot of different things in life, even trust ourselves. But as I look at this Psalms, there is nothing that I can do that compares to what God has done for me. Why would I trust in anyone other than God? It does require that trusting God because the desires that we have in our hearts and because God has equipped us with a desire to know, we can use those in evil ways. But when I see here that the essence of the beauty of life is God himself, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to pursue anything else. And I have to honestly say, I don't mind certain parts of life as long as while I'm doing those things, it reminds me of God. But there are some things that I do that honestly, when I'm done with them, it was a waste of time. It drew me no closer to God. It didn't necessarily draw me away from Him. It was just boring, particularly if the Mariners don't win. You can imagine how disappointed I am today. So here it is for it. The psalmist says, I'm going to commit myself, and I'm going to say the same to you. What would I say to you based on this psalm? Three things. Put forth every bit of effort you can to spend time in the presence of God. Be assured of the fact that when you commit yourself to do that, that God will help you in that journey. He will give you the strength. And when you get there, get ready. He's going to bless you. He is going to bless you just for his own delight and your enjoyment. Why would I not want to spend time with God? What is it, what is it that I want out of life? I want what Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus was meeting with his disciples in what is known as the upper room discourse, and he realized that they had gotten distracted because he was speaking of his death and they feared their own death. I love what Jesus says in order to comfort them. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. Now notice what he says. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. God wants us to be at home with him. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know the way where you're going. And he said, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. I love what he's saying here is in order to comfort them in their time of distraction, he says, please keep in mind, we're going to be at home together. I'm going to have a great time together in that place. Huh? What a day that will be. God desires to dwell with you. Now, here's your assignment, and then I'll close in prayer. Share with someone this week a time when you richly experienced God, the circumstances around that. Share with someone about that, okay? Or perhaps not. (laughs) Pastor Aaron sent me a message this week, and he said, be sure to have him do that. So to ensure that we don't disrupt his sabbatical rests, please do this. (laughs) I think you'll find it delightful not only to share, but to hear what others share. Father God, we thank you that you have built us in such a way that the richness of our life is found in communion with you, walking with you, talking with you, listening, enjoying, experiencing. And there's nothing that we've experienced in life that can compare to that, Lord. And I pray that we would embrace you, that we would purpose in our hearts this week, this day, to go hard after God and to enjoy you. In Jesus' name and for the glory of our God, we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a good week.